Hello again, I'm Melanie Haynes and welcome to episode four and the final episode of season one of the Daily Days podcast. Today I'm joined by Jenny Fox. Jenny has an unusual expat story. She was an expat as a child in Scotland and then moved back to her birth country of Germany in her 30s and to then return to Scotland again in 2017. She defined herself at that time as an expat expat. Jenny and I met through an expat mum and toddler group soon after we'd both moved to Berlin in 2011. I am really inspired by Jenny's tenacious nature and her passion for museums. In the podcast, she shares how she established a number of successful projects which enabled expats, both with young children and without, to enjoy the amazing museums in Berlin, as well as tons of excellent advice about finding your place in a new city. So, over to our chat. Right, today I'm joined by Jenny Fuchs. Um, Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. But anyway, today we're here to talk a bit about your expat journey and some of the projects you've been involved in. So I'm asking everybody to really kind of kick off and just tell me a bit about what your expat journeys look like and a bit about yourself. Okay, so um, I'm Jenny. I'm 39. I currently live in Edinburgh, like I said, with my husband and my two sons, Oscar, who's about to turn seven, and Alfred Fox, who's about to turn three. Um, We moved here from Berlin only about three months ago, Um, or rather, um, I should say we moved back here (laughs) because we've lived here before. Um, I've pretty much been an expat in one way or another most of my life. I was born in Germany to German parents. When I was four and a half, we moved to Edinburgh for my dad's job. He was a minister in the German church and there's a... um, a big uh, community of expat German congregations around the world. So he was the German minister in Edinburgh for seven years, and I went to primary school here. And then we moved back to Germany because those posts are always limited. So we knew right from the start that after seven years, we'd have to go back. And I was back in Germany for high school. And then as soon as I finished high school, I was on the first boat back to Scotland. (laughs) And um, I went to university. I chose to do Scottish studies um which is I guess I kind of maybe intentionally chose something I couldn't do in Germany so there would be um no argument against um coming back to to Edinburgh so I did that here um for for a couple of years four years um then I was away in England and Wales for a year doing my postgrad and then I came back to Edinburgh again because I can't stay away um (laughs) And yeah, started working here, met my husband, who's Scottish. We had our first son, Oscar, was born in Edinburgh. And then we went to Berlin. And that's where we met. Um, That's where we met, yeah. So And that was 2011. So Oscar was, uh, just before he turned one, we went to Berlin for my husband's work. Um, And then we were there for almost six years. And then we came three months ago to Edinburgh again because I can't stay away from Edinburgh. No, it obviously it. Has, a, has a magnetic effect on you. Yeah, I mean, we both met, I think the first time we met was uh, at a, a sort of a mums and babies meet up and, and then a Halloween one. And, and I think actually we've become more yeah, friends since, since we yeah. weren't in the same city, which is a, is a bit strange. Yeah, strange, yeah. <laughs> but uh, your, your background is, uh, is, is museums at the moment yes and that's, that's right so um I went to, I so I came to Edinburgh to study Scottish studies <laughs> um there's kind of a limit of what you can do with that um one of which is sort of going into the cultural sector <clears throat> in obviously in Scotland <laughs> if you've done Scottish studies and which is what I did so I, I followed it up with a um 
postgraduate studies in museum studies down in Leicester. Um, and I've been working in the museum and cultural sector ever since. So that's, I don't know, about at least 15 years, wow. <laughs> over 15 years. Yeah, so, um, and I've never really done anything. I've always worked in the museum and cultural sector. And um, so I've become a bit of a museum nerd or museum girl, as everyone calls me. <laughs> yeah. So when you were in Berlin, you worked at a museum as, as well there. Is that right? I did for a little while. Yeah, it's despite the, uh, I don't know, over 100 museums or so they have in Berlin, um, it was quite difficult to find work there because museums are all kind of a bit broke um, yeah. and they like to, I guess it's the same with museums across the world. So there are a lot of posts for sort of trainees and interns, um, but sort of if you were mid-career, it was a bit harder. But I did work National Museums Berlin um, for a couple of years um, and then I had Alfred, so then I... <laughs> was out of work again and I never kind of managed to get back into work after having him and um but then you you didn't sit around idle when you were in Berlin you you were involved in a lot of projects which we're going to talk about um as we go go on talking today but when you moved to Berlin like you've you've already sort of um spoken a little bit about the attitudes in, in museums but when you moved there you saw there wasn't an awful lot on offer to help parents enjoy museums with their kids. So you actually did something about that. What did you What did you do? Um, yeah. So just to to sort of put that into a little bit of perspective, there are I mean, museums in Berlin do do stuff for children. I don't know in case any of people I know listen to this and I think I'm sort of um, being completely negative. It's the young children. That's hmm. that's the bit that got to me. So having come from Edinburgh, where you know they do sort of rhyme time sessions for two-year-olds and then going to Berlin where all the museum offerings were sort of age five or age six, age seven plus. So basically primary school and up and in Germany you don't start primary school till you're six or seven years old. Um, And a lot of it was a lot more structured. So, you know, guided tours and workshops and not just like a rhyme time session like we used to go to at the National Museum. So it was that that I found frustrating, um, which kind of links into with, that, that guy who asked me whether I was being serious when I asked who does anything for the under threes. Um, so that there was a gap in the sort of four and under age group. I mean, there's, there's a couple of children's museums in Berlin, and even those are aimed at age four plus. So you kind of think if even the children's museum isn't aimed at under fours, then who else is going to be? Uh, so, yeah, I find that a little bit frustrating. Um, so I did actually, there's sort of, Two things that I did. One was I launched a project called Berlin Museum for Kids, which was, it started out, it was just on my blog, um, this museum blog that I write. Excuse me, sorry. I'll just do that bit again. And so, yeah, I, I started a project called Berlin Museum for Kids. And initially it was just on my blog. I write a museum blog. Um, I have been doing it for a couple of years and Obviously, I also write about kids and museums on that, especially since becoming a parent myself. Um, so it was a monthly, I guess you'd call it, listing on the blog of all the museum things happening around Berlin. And Berlin is big. It's got over 100 museums. So there is you know, plenty of content to put in there. Um, and just getting it out there, because like I say, some museums were doing stuff for children, but it was so hard to find because... Um, unless you sort of followed every single museum on like their newsletter or their website, 
um, there was there was no sort of effort to have a sort of central point. So I started pulling all these highlights together, like um, special events and craft workshops, and especially looking out for things for the younger children. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then that kind of spun off into a sort of Facebook. Um, I think it's a page, a Facebook page, like a Facebook community, uh-huh. um, which is still growing. I handed it over to um, another British expat mum who moved to Berlin just before we left, and um, we kind of we ended up living on the same street and sort of met each other over Twitter, I think. And then I asked her if she wanted to carry carry on my this this community of Berlin Museum for Kids I, I'd built up and. She's still doing a great job of it. Um, so that's how it started. And then I thought, well, the next step is to actually f- um, fill that gap and get some events going for that under fours group. Um, so I approached um, a museum. It's the, the Stadtmuseum Berlin, the City Museum of Berlin. They've got a couple of sites. Um, actually, I've got a friend who worked there who I met through the, the Berlin Museum online community. Um and he also had a kid, same age, that was born, I think, a month after Alfred. So I thought he would be a good person to approach because we were kind of on the same wavelength. So I had this idea because one of the barriers for parents taking young children into museums in Berlin, I sort of asked around a bit, was, well, one, feeling welcome or not feeling welcome, <laughs> which is what kept people away. And the other is the admission fee, because unlike in the UK, in, in, like in Edinburgh, most of the museums are free. So I can just pop in with my kids for 20 minutes, half an hour, and if they suddenly don't want to go anymore, we just leave. <laughs> um, but in Berlin, if you're sort of paying, I don't know, 8 or 10 or 12 euros, you're going to think twice about going with a young kid who might have a meltdown any minute. Oh. So we came up with this this pilot project where once a month um, they would offer free entry for parents um, and carers, so um, anybody with a, in charge of a, a young child, up to the age of 18 months. Um, and they could come in um, on that one day month um, for free and bring their baby and not be worried about having, if they, have, they could stay for 10 minutes, they could stay for two hours. Um, they had the, the education suite, which wasn't being used that day, was set aside as a place where people could like, change their kids, feed them if they wanted some privacy or just, you know, have some time out Um if they wanted to just take a break while they're going around, they set aside an area for buggy parking. Um, and they also, we introduced this idea. It was called sort of, I can't remember what we called it. It was basically sort of a roving, a roving tour guide. So instead of um, going on a museum tour, you know, we were sort of committed for the next 20, 30 minutes. And then you might miss something if your child needs changed or fed. They would, they would just rove around. And the parents, if they had any, or, or the parents and the carers, if they had any questions, they could just go up to them and have sort of a little impromptu, you know, question and answer on the spot, which worked much better for them because then they could do it at their own pace rather than being taken round by someone in the more traditional yeah. tour guide. So I guess in a way it wasn't really for the babies, but more for the parents. But um, still, you know, they they could it would bring them into the museum with with their babies make them so the idea was to break down those barriers get them visiting um with their kids make them feel welcome and then maybe 
encourage them to bring their kids back when they're a bit older. So when we launched it, Alfred was just about, he just turned 18 months. So I took him along um, to, to test my own idea. <laughs> uh, and it, uh, they had um, a lot of people have been taking them up on it. And um, so actually at 18 months, he was old enough to actually interact with some of the things in the exhibition as well. Yeah. Um, that they had on at the time. So what they, they did this, um, the City Museum Berlin has several sites, so some with permanent exhibitions, and um, they decided to pilot this in one of their sites where they have um, temporary exhibitions that are always on for like, I think about a couple of months at a time. And so it didn't seem like a, a huge commitment because it meant when that, that exhibition came to the end, they couldn't review, they could review it. Yeah. And, this was, oh, I've got to work out now when he turned, so it was 18 months and he's about to turn three, so it was about 18 months ago. Um, and they, but, um, so they kept doing it. They, they evaluated the pilot project and they decided that it was, it was a great success. They had, I think, about sort of around 40, 50 parents and carers coming in on, on the days that they were offering this. And it has now become a permanent part of their program for all the exhibitions they do in that space. That's so I'm quite proud of that. You That's amazing. How about if you don't speak German and you want to go along? Is it possible uh, as an English speaker to, um, to join in? Yes. Well, I mean, so a lot of exhibitions and museums in Berlin, not just at the City Museum, are um, include English interpretation. And I think any new exhibitions that are made these days just sort of most museums include that as because it has such not just a big expat community but also so many tourists coming um, so that sort of reading any information in English isn't a problem and I can't remember now um, because I did talk to the roving <laughs> tour guide and I can't remember whether I did it in English or in German because obviously I speak fluent German so it might be that I spoke to her in German. But I think she also spoke English. I think they intentionally picked someone who could do English and German. That's fantastic. Um, and That's a lot fantastic. a lot of the people that came, at, at least initially during the pilot project, I mean, I don't know now that it's established, they probably come from all kinds of, um, they probably hear about it through all kinds of sources. But at the beginning, when, we, when it was the pilot project, um, I advertised it through this, so that's the connection, I advertised it through my Berlin Museums for Kids community that I built up, and a lot of uh, the members in that community were actually also expats, um, so I think about the majority of people that came during the pilot project had heard about it through me and my community and my blog, and were in fact English-speaking expats, um, so... Okay. It was absolutely possible for... It would have um, been something that when I was living in Berlin, I would have been there like a shop because, you know, we, yeah. loved, we loved exploring the museums. The Natural History Museum was a particular favourite. Um, and I think that something like that for... I mean, when we first moved there, Noah was, was just... He just turned two. And there was so much in there that was just visually exciting for him. Um, and if I could go to something that was organised... But one of the things you mentioned about, you know, like buggy parking and, you know, space for, for parents to feed their, their children and for mums to breastfeed. I mean, they're, they're all the kinds of things that are barriers if you do have 
um, a younger a younger child or a toddler to go somewhere because you think, oh, well, like, where am I going to put my buggy? Oh, it's going to be too much hassle. And already before you've even got there, you've got this in your mind that there's this, this big mountain to overcome. And once that's gone out of the way and those barriers are, are sort of removed, it makes it much easier to uh, to go in and, and enjoy them and to meet other people, which is a really big thing if you're you're new to a city. But that wasn't the only thing you set up in Berlin. Did you have time to do anything other than these things? But you uh, you set up another project, which I'm fascinated by because although I'm I'm quite you know social media savvy, I don't actually know what a, a tweet up is. But you set up something called Muse Up, which you brought museum tweet ups together and and you looked at unusual museums but first of all what's a tweet up and uh, how did this this project work okay so um a tweet up i think back then it was maybe more slightly new concept um, at least in berlin so a tweet up is basically a twitter meetup so it's um in the case of a museum a, a guided tour i mean you can have a tweet up anywhere um it's not restricted to museums but in the museum context it would be a guided tour where um the participants in the tour would sort of give a running commentary on Twitter with their comments and impressions and sharing photographs. Um, so, and we called it Muse Up, which was a, a mashup of museum and tweet up. So it was just because we wanted a name to market it under in, in Berlin. Um, and then other Twitter users can who aren't in, in Berlin or wherever the tweet up uh, is taking place. So they can join in online as well. They can follow um, so there's like a hashtag that you can follow and you, you let people know in advance it's happening, you know, on Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. And then you might have, I don't know, a dozen people turning up at the museum, but you might have 20 people following along online. And they can also ask questions like from a distance. And so we would keep an eye on um, as the organizers if there are any questions coming in and we could then pass those on to the, the curator doing the tour Um and it was for some of the creatures that took a bit of getting used to when we briefed them we always used to say um you know this is the one time where it's a compliment to you if everyone's looking at their phone um but most of them got it i mean most of them were well briefed and and, and got the concept um and we kind of we tried out different con different um different ways of doing it as well i mean we had this one curator she was from the museum of prints and drawings she was brilliant she was really like social media savvy and enthusiastic and it was actually her idea that so we did this sort of online poll in advance where people could um vote for their favorite artists like she put together a short list and then they could vote which ones of those they wanted to see in this pop-up exhibition which she then put together for the tweet up um and she'd even put a little label saying like how what percentage of people had voted for that artist and because um, the museum of prints and drawings doesn't have a permanent collection so they just get things out of the um they have temporary exhibitions and you can just go to the reading room and request to see oh, wow. um oh. any, any works in their collection so from the we did this little poll and then she got out stuff from storage and put up this little pop-up exhibition in the reading room and it was brilliant i think it was out of all the tweet ups we did i think that was my favorite um, and it's really great to also just have enthusiastic, enthusiastic museum staff who are a bit sort of forward-looking um, who can get on board with something like that. Um, yeah, I have to say, so it wasn't just it wasn't my only my idea. I have to sort of um, add that in. So it, I set this up with another girl from Berlin, whom I also met through Twitter. So social media is such a brilliant uh, lifeline if you're 
um, an expat somewhere. Or I mean, technically, I wasn't expat because I was German living in Germany. But at that point, I spent so much time going back and forwards, and obviously having half of our family being Scottish, I, I still kind of considered myself to be a bit of an expat. Um, but yeah, so we met we met through Twitter, um, and we set this up together. Um, and we, we ran it for a few years, so we um, I can't remember how many we did in total, but it was over a dozen. We worked with different together with different museums, organising them. So it was in a different museum every time, so sort of every three to four months. Um, and eventually, museums started to organise these themselves, and it kind of um, what do you say? Just you know, um, ran its course. Like the the museum ran its course. Like so, the museums then started holding their own like tweet ups and insta walks and all these kinds of things but while the concept was still new to berlin i mean this is like over the course of six years so six years ago it was still quite a new thing so we did a bit of hand holding and just getting museums infused about social media and about trying new things which was always our intention like we never intended to sort of do this forever but to just get the idea planted into the minds of museums in berlin and it sort of give them a bit of a starting helping hand and then um yeah they've a lot of them have gone on to do it themselves there's a couple who still right until i left sort of would contact me and ask me to get involved just because i had a bigger network than they did um <laughs> which was also part of it you know so just using my see, my network on social media network and reach to to actually get people um, to know about it, and which is also fine because the museums of different sizes. But yeah. Um, yeah, it was kind of fun. But it's great <laughs> starting a project that is so successful that the the places actually want to take it on themselves. Now, the last project I yeah. wanted to talk to you about, which again was another museum one, before we talk more about sort of expat life, but was a museum marathon. Now, when I read about this, when I first saw the the, the title, I had visions of people sprinting around museums. Um, but obviously, that's probably not what it is. Um, no, there was no, no, no sprinting um, as such involved. Um, we did do a lot of walking. Um, so it's basically, it's a sponsored walk. And the, the, the name Museum Marathon came uh, from the idea that it's um, visiting 26 museums in a day, which I think is that the number of miles in a marathon? I think so, yeah. Um, it was something like that. Um, so the, it wasn't actually my idea. So the idea was sort of conceived and um, brought to fruition by a guy called David um, in, in London in, oh, let me think. It was, I think, um, that 2013. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact month, but sort of second half of 2013. So he organized a group of 20 people to walk around London and visit 26 museums in one day. Um, to raise money for charity. So it was a sponsored walk. So the museum, the marathon bit was the, the 26. Okay. <laughs> that was that was the number 26. That was what linked it um, to, to the marathon. Just It could have been any arbitrary number, but I guess it gave it a catchy name. Um, no, I mean, you did, you did have to walk, um, maybe not sprint, but <laughs> sort of keep up the pace to get through all those museums in a day. Wow. Um, and... Obviously, you wouldn't have time to visit them all in in depth. So some of them, I think, they just took a photo outside, and some of them, they went in and chatted to the the staff, and then they challenged London, challenged Berlin to do the next museum marathon. <laughs> well, of course, I couldn't turn down a challenge, so I said, "Yeah, let's do it." 
Um, so the Berlin Museum Marathon took place in April 2014. So um, it's just and it was roughly not quite six months after the London one. And so we followed the same format. We did uh, plotted 26 museums in Berlin on a route that we thought could be doable um, in a day. And we started, I think it was 10 a.m., because that's when the first museums were opening. And then we finished at 7. Um, so it was a long day. And um, I, I tracked it. it we, we covered around 15 kilometers in wow, that day. So it was, um, yeah. So again, some museums we just stopped that briefly to take a photo to prove we'd been there, and others we we went inside and um, had like a sort of micro talk, sort of five to ten minute short talk with um, like meet and greet with one of the staff and look around. So I contacted all the museums in advance um, to get them on board. Um, and so we actually had the problem that they, this is what one of the reasons it took so long in the end, that so many of them actually wanted to uh, to be involved and, and do a meet and greet. Um, I also managed to convince almost all of them to to give us some freebies for goodie bags, which in the end were so heavy, we decided to, to hand them out at the end. Um, we, um, so I said that in itself, like, to get all those, I think we had 12, we had about, yeah, 12 partners, um, and out of 20, so, so just under half of the museum, well, it's not, because some of the museums have, you know, several sites, so out of the 12 partners, they probably covered about 18 museums or so, because um, some of them had multiple sites, Um yeah, it was just, I, I think after the, that, the baby, Babies in Museum project, that's the, the second most satisfying thing I did in my six years of Berlin, just single-handedly organizing this um, and coordinating it. It was it was really, um, just really satisfying doing that. But you did all of those, those projects that you were involved in. Do you think on a personal level they went some way to helping you settle in Berlin or were they things that kept you busy so that you, you know, you felt part of the community? Uh, probably more the latter. So... I'm not sure it really helped settle. I mean, <laughs> we moved back to Edinburgh three months ago. So, you know, that sort of tells you something. Um, but it, it definitely helped to distract me because I needed to get out of the house. I needed to spend time with people other than my children. Um, I did go along to some parent groups which where we met, um, like both local and expat parent groups. But I also just needed to do something that didn't only involve around children, whether it was my children or other children. I needed to do something that didn't just involve around being a mum and talking about potty training and weaning and all that kind of stuff that you talk about when you go to mummy meetups. Um, it doesn't seem to matter what you start talking about. You always end up talking about that kind of stuff, um, which is, you know, fine. There's a time and place for that, but I just also needed a time and place that in just included something other than that. Um, and like I said earlier, I, I did eventually work for a couple of years. Um, but when I after I had Alfred, the sort of work opportunities just dried up. And ultimately, it was my lack of work prospects in Berlin that led us to come back to Edinburgh mm-hmm. and, and a bit of homesickness, I have to admit. But I think if it wasn't for the work prospects um, or the lack of, thereof, we might have stuck it out in Berlin a bit longer because it is a great city, um, especially if you like museums. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but in the meantime, while I couldn't find any work, all those other museum activities, they just gave me something to do and they enabled me to stay in touch and up to date with the sector um, and not feel like I was completely outside of it. 
And I think most importantly, it just gave me a sense of purpose. And other than like my sense of purpose as a mum, but just a sense of purpose, a sense of sort of self, um, just in what was a very frustrating situation of not being able to find work. Yeah, but it also, I mean, it's, it it feels something in your CV as well, because often when women go with their husbands to a new country and they, they're not the one that's going there with the specific job, they can find that they have a gap in their CV, which... Mm isn't always very good when you want to get back into the sector but just having just the three projects that were four projects we've talked about today you know having those on there that then means that you're not having that gap in your cv and you're still very much involved in the sector like you say it keeps you up to speed with what's going on yeah i thought and and the the work that i did do when i when i was did find like the jobs that I did find um, that I did for a couple of years in Berlin. Um, I mean, that also helped the fact that I was so active in the community and that I was sort of a known uh, person in the Berlin museum community. I mean, I managed to sort of get in there very quickly. And um, so the, that kind of helped. I mean, obviously that's never a deciding factor in employing someone, but um, you need to meet obviously the job criteria, but um, that sort of helped bump up the yeah like you say the experience bit it it doesn't matter that it was sort of self-generated project rather than but I think neither of us us are millennials but I think that you know very much nowadays people expect or look for people that have been self I hate the expression self-starters but you know that have actually done something themselves they're not just sort of following along and and following a strategy or an idea that someone else has but they've actually set something up themselves and if you look at somebody um, who perhaps doesn't have a lot of experience in that country um, in the workplace there but you look and say well actually look at this thing that they just set up well if they can do that then they'll be able to do other things but I wanted to talk towards the end of the interview just about, you know, being expat, an expat in general. Um, yeah. There are often, you know, there are massive challenges that regardless of whether you're excited about a move or, or you're not. But there are so many challenges that expats face. What, what do you see from from your experience of kind of moving around at different ages, but particularly your move to Berlin? You know, what's the biggest challenge for expats, particularly women and, and mums? Well, um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's the women or the mums, although in, in most cases it, it, it is. It's whoever is the partner. Yes. So it's whoever is the, the one that wasn't the reason for moving. So like you may both have given up jobs to move, but only one of you has a new job to go to. Of course, um, that's not always the case. So sometimes both partners have a job already lined up when they relocate or the other partner will find a job later on and start working. But initially, they'll... They might find themselves just sitting at home without a sense of purpose while their other half throws themselves into their new job. Um, And that's what it was like in our case. So I was actually on maternity leave when we moved from Edinburgh to Berlin because Oscar wasn't quite one yet. But I did have a permanent job in Edinburgh. It was a job that I loved and that I had every intention of returning to after my maternity leave. Um, So I found it really tough, especially when the date came around that I should have been returning to work. I mean, I love my children. But I never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I I just love working. I love working in museums. For me, it was more always more than just a job. It was a bit of a passion. So to suddenly be like a stay-at-home mom, not out of choice, but because I didn't have any other option at that point, I found that really tough. 
Um, and I don't know. I mean, I guess the way to overcome that is just to find the thing that gets you out there, to find a reason to leave the house. So for me, that was museums. And like I said before, if you like museums, Berlin is an amazing city to be in. I think there's over about 100, 120, I don't know. The, the numbers seems to be constantly changing, but there's a lot. So I just, I packed up my babies and I dragged them with me to every museum I could find. And um, yeah, that just sort of gave me something to do and didn't just feel like I was sitting at home getting cabin fever. So for me, it was museums. For someone else, it will be something else. But yeah, I found, yeah I, I found the same. The best I started. places to, yeah, just, yeah, don't sit, at, don't, don't just sit at home feeling sorry for yourself, which I know is really hard if, you know, your partner's at work and you've got cabin fever and you've got homesickness and it's, sometimes it's really, really difficult, but um, I think, yeah, you just need to get out there, find whatever it is that's your thing. And obviously you don't need to do all the, like, millions of things I ended up doing, but, um but doing something, just, just doing something. something. Yeah. I mean, I found that I started to feel more settled in Berlin when I started writing a blog because I started writing about places that we were visiting and because I was struggling myself to, because I didn't speak German, to find information about where were kinder cafes and where was this I could go with my two-year-old. And I just put him exactly what you said, just you know, put him in the buggy and we just went out. And I'd have found some reference to something online and I just went there. And then I started writing about it and it gave me a purpose because, oh, I need to find something else to write about. So I'll go out and do this. And I met people and I met people. I mean, I wasn't on Twitter or anything and Instagram was very new and I was using that. But I started getting emails from mum saying, thank you so much for sharing that. Do you want to meet for a coffee? Um, and it immediately opened up something to do and it gave me a purpose because otherwise I probably would have just stayed indoors. So you, you need to get that focus. But making friends and building networks, I think, is a little easier, perhaps, maybe not now with social media. But what, what advice would you give to somebody who's just moved to a new city, doesn't know anybody? How could they start to build a network? Yeah, I would definitely say social media. I mean, I mean, I guess people managed in the days before social media. It was maybe just a bit harder to find the sort of groups and contacts. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what you've done. You probably, I think, like just thinking back to when we moved over as kids, and like my mum would have been in the, the situation I then found myself in in Berlin. Uh, you know, she would go to sort of the church in the library and see if there were any groups kind of happening there. But I mean, this day we have social media, and it is just such a useful tool. So the few good friends I made in Berlin, because I met lots of people, but it's a big city, so it's really difficult to sort of make close friendships because you meet someone you get on with them and you find that they live an hour away <laughs> um, which in Edinburgh is a lot more manageable um, but the few good friends that I made in Berlin and um, I all met via social media um, and then of course it's a fountain of knowledge too so whatever it is there's a Facebook group for it yeah. <laughs> I was in expat groups in local parent groups in museum groups you name it what like it's whatever it is that like that's your thing there's bound to be a Facebook group for it so even if you hate Facebook and you're not on it set up a profile so that you can find those groups and join them and get connected even if you never use your post your, your Facebook profile for anything else mm -hmm. like you don't need to post status updates or share photos or any of those other things that are the reason why you hate Facebook you don't need to do any of that but join it just so you can get in those groups I don't know what I would have done without them 
um, I think I would have managed, but I think it would have been a lot more difficult. Um, and for me also, for professional contacts, I found Twitter really useful because there's quite a strong sort of museum community on um, using Twitter. And that's how I first got my foot in the door. Uh, it's, it's actually quite a funny story. I think I mentioned it to you before. So in our first apartment in Berlin, we lived right next to the Jewish Museum. And one day I tweeted at them and said, I can see you from my house. And then they answered back and said something like, that's actually quite creepy. And I said, no, 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 no. I, I don't mean I can see you personally. I'm just, I'm standing on my balcony and I can see the museum. Um, but kind of broke the ice and then you know um and she'd sort of seen in my profile like who I was and that I'd just come over from Edinburgh and worked at museum here and so well if, if you're that close why don't you pop over and we'll have coffee in the museum cafe and um then we just became quite good friends and she introduced me to other people like both online and in person and it just grew from there and um, a lot of the the contacts and friendships I made sort of I'll go back to that first um, quite funny um, encounter on Twitter. So, yeah, social media is definitely... It certainly got you noticed by them. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, when we moved to to Copenhagen, it was 10 years ago, and the the things that exist now just simply didn't exist. And sometimes I think that there is a danger that some expats just sit behind Facebook and don't get out there. Um, so I think it's positive to use yeah. it in, in that sense that you're talking about, of like actually meeting people, making those connections. And you can see what somebody looks like. So you don't have that embarrassing moment where you're waiting for somebody that perhaps you've emailed to, to meet up f- for a coffee mm-hmm. or something. Oh, what do they look like? You know, you can see what they look like. You get a good idea about people. And I, I think it, it is a great way. And, and certainly here, LinkedIn is, is a big deal for connecting with people if you're looking for work. It's uh, yeah, I think LinkedIn's sort of moving more away from the, the the sort of the dry business side of things, but it's certainly a way to connect with them. Yeah, I would I would definitely use it as a a way like a, like a means, not as sort of to, yeah, like you say, don't don't just hide behind Facebook. Use it as a way to open doors. Don't just use it as a way to like hide away from things. I think that's definitely the, the right approach. I mean, even for us more recently, just like moving back to Edinburgh, I mean, obviously, I know I've spent 20 years of my life in Edinburgh. I kind of know it like the back of my hand, but it's the first time I've been here with a school age kids. Um, and we moved during the summer holidays and just about a couple of days before the, the Edinburgh school holidays, we only found out what school he was going to get into. Um, and then we arrived here with like all these questions and of course the school was shut <laughs> um, and so I found this Facebook group for it's like a private Facebook group for um, parents at our school and I just went on there and started asking questions and I was just inundated with offers for help um, you know like people sending me links where it's the like, best place to buy the school uniform and this and that and all these things that I needed to know and invitations for play dates so that my son wouldn't be there on his first day of school and not know anyone and it was just amazing and yeah just to have that that's fantastic that's that's such a a good use of social media and a good way to find things out and and I think also that particularly parents I think they understand what you're even if they've never made that move themselves or they're not they've never been new 
halfway through you know a year or whatever at school they know how they might feel and that's that's why I think it's really positive that they reach out to you and of course it what what comes around goes around next time people need help then they know that they've got that inclusive community which is fantastic but I'm conscious of time and uh, (laughs) we've we've talked about some amazing things and you know I wish that I'd still been in Berlin when you did a lot of these things because I would have certainly have have been involved but what are your plans Mm -hmm. now you're back in in Edinburgh this is a, a permanent move um you're obviously obviously looking looking for a a job there but have you got any projects up your sleeve or anything that you want to share with with people who might be uh up in in your neck of the woods um well i'm just yeah just obviously it's only been three months we're sort of still settling my my priority was getting the children settled in so getting oscar settled into his new school and um just taking some time out of that because he had because of the different school systems he had to skip a year he went from primary one straight to primary three, so um, just setting aside some time to settle him in and setting the little one into his new nursery. So now, now I've got a bit of time to focus on myself. So yeah, I've started job hunting, um, but I mean, it's only been like a couple of months. I'm not yeah, too worried at the minute. <laughs> it's not like in Berlin where so, I'm, like it was two years and I was getting frustrated. So I've, we're only at the two months mark. So I'm still positive <laughs> at the moment. Um, yeah, and just sort of after the the um, like I mentioned, I have this museum blog that I've been writing, but it's been on a bit of a back back burner over the summer. Um, actually, since since spring, because we decided in quite early on in the year that we were going to come back and to give ourselves time to not rush the move. Um, and I guess the blog's taken a bit of a step back during that because I've been just focusing on organising the move and then doing the move and then getting everyone settled in after the move so now that everyone's settled in I want to um, pick that up and uh, sort of start doing more on my museum blog again which will also tie in very neatly with the job hunting so um would you like and, to tell, can you tell us the I'll put it in the show notes but can you tell us the website address in case people want to have a look uh, yeah it's quite easy it's museumdiary.com oh. so like a diary like the diary that you write in it's just all one word museumdiary.com Fantastic. Uh, and yeah, and I've also been just, I also have another blog, a family blog that I write, which is sort of kind of, as much as I love museums, um, and I like going on a busman's holiday and just, you know, doing lots of museums even when I'm not at work, occasionally I do also like to have a bit of a break from museums. I think it's just good for like sort of a healthy balance to um, to have something else as well. So I, I have this family blog that I write, that's um, called The Bear and the Box. Okay. Again. Okay really easy to find the bear and the box.com so um i've been doing a bit more on that um over the summer just as a bit of a a balance um yeah so yeah i've been having a bit of fun with that and obviously museums make an appearance on there as well because <laughs> it's yeah, a family blog and we visit museums as a family so it somehow always comes back to museums for us um but yeah so at the minute i'm yeah i'm, I'm just having some fun with my two blogs and doing job hunting and and then the two kids and that's I think my, wow. my days filled up yeah. I think some great advice came out of that about you know taking your time although you're going back to somewhere that you're familiar with it's different with children and you know I think as as expats whichever way we're going um whether we're going home after a period of time or going somewhere <laughs> new is is actually taking that time and not not thinking you have to do everything at once you know prioritize things and and just take things 
things slowly and being kind to yourself rather than forcing everything at, at one time. So that's great. And people can obviously follow you on Twitter as well. Um, yeah, it's just my name, Jenny Fawkes. Okay. Uh, you'll put it in, in your notes so people know how to spell it. Yes, yes. And I do struggle um, to pronounce it so that I don't have to put an E rating on here. Um, but yeah. People to... always ask me how to say it and I say, you know, as long as it doesn't sound rude, everything and everything else is fine good that's great (laughs) fantastic well thank you so much for your time it's been really really fascinating and as a a fellow museum fan i i think it's all fantastic things that you've been organizing but i think for everybody you know we need to we need to visit museums and we need to take our kids to them and and it it does it really makes i think life a lot more interesting so thank you I, i always tell people like take them early take them often and take them everywhere yeah I would I would agree with those sentiments absolutely. So, well, thank you so much. Um, I'm sure everyone will enjoy it, and I will put. Thank you for inviting me. It was fun. <laughs> You're more than welcome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation, and thank you for listening. And I really do hope you've enjoyed the first season of the Dining Days podcast. I plan to be back later in the year with some more interesting expat stories for you. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. But until next time, bye for now.